Hey everyone, welcome or welcome back to the Quaybog Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel or check us out on Facebook. That way you'll have access to fresh content every week. But most importantly, we hope the following message inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey because our mission here at Quaybog is to help you worship, connect, and serve. Enjoy! Genesis uh, is a pretty wild book, and the, the things that we find here can be transformational. Like, the stuff that's in Genesis can absolutely change everything for us. And the, the driving question for this particular part of Genesis that I've wanted us to wrestle with uh, is this here. So this is our guiding question for this, this section of Genesis. What is God telling us about himself in the creation account? Because remember, what we've been driving into every week is that the focus of the creation account isn't creation, it's who. It's creator. So it's not so much a what. The question that we really want to wrestle with is a question of who. What is being communicated about our creator? Now, obviously, there's some important things to know about creation itself and the order of things and all of that. But what God is revealing about himself, it should, it should result in some awe. It should result in some inspiration, right? It should result in worship and appreciation. Like, these things should come out of this account. And if we're not careful, you can get bogged down in trying to pick apart details that are really missing the grandeur of the story and what's going on there. And today we're going to be talking about an idea that's, that's important because it, it, it affects everything that we do. And in Genesis, the things that we've learned so far have built up to this point. Because the word Genesis comes from a Greek word that means origins. So it is the, like I said when we first started, it is the origins of a lot of things in the Bible. It echoes all the way through Revelation. We see in here the intent of God, the design of God, right? The purpose of God. We see God bringing origins. We see God bringing meaning, value, and purpose where there were None. There was none of that stuff when God started the process. And that's a great life lesson to see that's who God is. That's what he does, bringing meaning, value, and purpose when there is none. Because that's where we can live sometimes. That's how we can feel sometimes, purposeless. And then also, all these creation days that we've looked at so far, day one through 6a, all leading somewhere. Last week I said you had to come back, so congratulations on being here again this week. Uh, I said we would talk about what the crescendo was this week, what the purpose of the creation story was this week. And that purpose really hinges on an idea that I want us to get used to today and to get understand. So today's sermon, uh, specifically looking at being made in his image. We're looking at the dignity that exists from the womb to the grave. Because the difficulty is that we have to say, okay, yes, I personally believe because of this idea that there's dignity of that fetus in the womb. But I also believe that there's dignity of the woman who has that fetus in her womb, right? That's important for us to remember. And then all the way up to the elderly, right? No matter what age range you're in, matter, like whatever part of the spectrum you're in, there's dignity that goes with that. There's being made in the image of God that affects all of those stages of life. And that's so important, especially in the culture that we live in. Because we don't live in a culture that values this anymore. And it's not just like a, an abortion or not issue. Like just the issue of the value of a person is being lost in large measure in our society. And it's doing really, really harmful things to us as people. Because being made in this image is not just an idea. It has to be a truth that you hold to. Because I want you to like consider some things this morning with me. 
interesting. Have you watched the news lately, right? And, and seen what we're doing to one another. I mean, it's awful. It's like we're losing our minds on a, on a global scale, especially in the West, right? In England, in America, our governments are trying to come up with loneliness councils to try to figure out the loneliness pandemic, right? That's like spreading across our cultures. Like they don't know what to do about it. Why is there so much self-harm in our culture in the West? Like, why are we losing a sense of who we are, a sense of identity, a sense of what it means to be a human being and the value that that holds? Like, why are we hurting other people so much? Why? Now, of course, that's a really nuanced conversation. There's a lot involved in that. But one of the major pieces of that is just that value of another person. Like, when was the last time that you, you waded dangerously into the comments section of anything online? Right? Don't do it unless you want to wreck your day and you want to lose all faith in humanity. Right? I can still remember one time, and I don't even know why I did this, but I was online and I looked up a word on dictionary.com or something like that. And, you know, you scroll down and they give you four million definitions of, and you're like, you get lost by the time you get to the bottom. And you're like, what are we talking about? And then all of a sudden I was in the comments section. My first thought was, why is there a comment section on this word on dictionary.com? Like, why do we need this? And I got about two comments in, and some guy was attacking somebody else's mother. In the comment section on dictionary.com, you know, like he was attacking the person and he was attacking how dumb his mom was and how clearly she didn't raise him right. And I'm like, and there was only like seven comments. I'm like, it didn't take more than two comments to get into me. I have to make fun of you and your mother on dictionary.com. But anonymity does that to us, right? People don't know who I am. So, man, I just trash people. Why? Because there's not a person on the other end of that keyboard, is there? It's just, it's nothing. Right? We're losing a sense of the importance of being made in the image of God and everything that comes with that. And I'm seeing it also in Christianity. This is not just on dictionary.com. This is what I'm watching Christians say, jokes that they make, and then listening to other Christians laugh at them. I'm listening to how they talk about people in the other political party, whatever that might be, right? or any opposing view. And it's just like, oh yeah, it's not my fault they were born stupid. You know, you can't fix stupid. And we use all these little sayings, and it's ha, 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 ha. But it's a total disrespect to the idea that that person is made in the image of God, right? So there's these subtleties that sneak in and how we think and how we just chip away at the image of God to where we get to the point where we're just like culture and people don't matter anymore. And we throw people away. And that's on us, church. That's on us, Christians, if you are one. How do we talk about people? How do we think about people? Because th- all this stuff, it lands in our life in real ways. This is not some like theological debate or some like existential crisis that's out there somewhere this is like to own this idea is something that lands in our lives and it should inform everything about us so this idea has been something for a long time that christians have wrestled with and thought about and there's a latin phrase imago dei and this is a phrase i want to introduce you today if you're not familiar with and i want you to lead today understanding what it means by definition and then what it means in your life because that's really what matters Because the Imago Dei is born out of rich theological discussion, rich theological debate for hundreds and hundreds of years on what does the image of God mean and why does that matter in this life? Like, how does that affect the way that I live and how I'm supposed to be as a Christian? So Christians for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years have wrestled with this. This is not a Latin phrase plucked straight out of Scripture, but it's an idea plucked straight straight out of Scripture, where we're going to be today. So the Imago Dei, and what this is specifically is two things. The Imago Dei emphasizes, one, the value of all human life and the responsibility of humans to reflect God's character 
in the world. So one more time, the Imago Dei, this idea that we want to think about today, emphasizes the value of all human life and the responsibility of humans to reflect God's character in the world. So there's this both and. Theologian N.T. Wright would say it this way, and I thought it was interesting. He said, it's, the Imago Dei is not just something that, uh, you know, it's like this idea. It's not just even necessarily who we are. It's a vocational calling on our life. N.T. Wright says it's actually the first job that we're given in Scripture. The very first job. Because if you remember, Adam got to name all the animals. So apparently zoology was in there first. You know, he was in there pretty quick. Right? And then gardeners. Those of you that are gardeners, man, that was job number two in the Bible. Right? But job number one, before anything else is said, is that you are to reflect the image of God. This is who you are and this is what you do. So in N.T. Wright's view, how he looks at Genesis 1, 26 and 27, is that we are made, built commissioned to reflect the glory of God. The stars, the heavens, may declare it, they may proclaim it, but we reflect it. So that is a a, a vocational calling on our lives. And so that's really what this Imago Dei idea is getting at. And again, what does this look like in our life? And the idea connected to Imago Dei, I'd love for you to think about today, is I want us to be able to reflect the image of God and also respect the image of God. And this is the hard part. We don't live in a very respectful society. We just don't. And so when we feel attacked, the, the draw can be to act just like that, to think just like that, right? To treat people as if they're not made in the image of God. There's a really strong pull to do that. And this is not easy right here to say, oh, yeah, reflect it and respect it. No, yeah, I'm trying to come up with a, a way to help you remember this. But it's something that's really, really difficult to live out. It's really, really difficult to live out because I want us to wrestle with this today and be a little uncomfortable with this today because my question for us, how about, how's Pastor Kyle doing? Am I reflecting the image of God to people in my life, the people I coach with, right? The, the people I'm on town boards with or whatever, the things I do, right? The outside of this church, am I reflecting the image of God and I, am I respecting that in other people or am I really quick to just tear them down because they're idiots and I can't fix stupid Right? Ha ha ha. We all love that saying, but that's not respecting the Imago Dei. So let's jump into this passage and really and think about what God is saying to us in this. So verse 26. So then God, or then Elohim said, and that's, you know, God in Hebrew there is Elohim. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They, and this is the call, this is like, this is the charge that they're given, the responsibility. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So, really, in summary, verse 26 and 27 here, or 26 rather, is a summary statement. It's a summary statement of who we are and really like the, the dominion we've been given, the, the, the charge we've been given to take care of God's creation. But to go back to verse 26, this is an interesting verse because you can literally pick every single word in this verse apart, and we're going to really briefly this morning because they're all pretty important. So you see here that God, then God said, so this is the pattern of every day of creation. All six days, then God said, then Elohim said, then Elohim said, then Elohim said, every single day. But the difference is, is the personal nature of this day. And again, we've got to slow down and say, why? Let us make Why would he slow down and say, well, let us make instead of as all the other days, then Elohim said, let there be or let the earth. Right. It's not it's not as personal as this. Let us make 
because there's something that's being said about this particular day. What's being created on this? Who is being created on this day that God would say, now let us do this? I'm personally stepping into this story. So that's something that sets this day right off the bat. It sets this day apart from the others. And so again, why is that? What is being communicated here in this? And then if you go just a little bit further, right? So let us. This is a curious thing that introduced introduce right here in the first chapter of Genesis is this plurality of God. So in the Old Testament, they didn't quite get this. There was this plurality of God, but also this unity of God. Like they, did, they had God and they had like the spirit of God, but even the spirit of God, the Hebrew word there is ruach. So it was like kind of like a breeze or a wind. Man, they didn't get it. They didn't understand really what the Holy Spirit was, that that was God. And then now you have the New Testament giving us a fuller picture. And so I want us to look at verses like this, not from 2,000 years after Jesus, but 3,500 years from today ago, right? So 1,500 years before Jesus, this is being revealed to people that there's a mystery of God here. And I think, again, the beauty of the Genesis account is the mystery of God, is the power of God. There should be awe and there should be inspiration. There should be worship that comes out of this. He's not really revealing himself completely, but there's mystery there. Let us make because he only speaks in the plural about himself four times in the Old Testament. Four times in the entire Old Testament does God refer to himself in the plural. Three of them happen in Genesis, and one happens in Isaiah. So the first one is here in Genesis 1, and the second one is in Genesis 3, right after the fall. So the Lord God said, since the man has become like one of us. And then in Genesis chapter 11, come let us go down there and confuse their language. So this is the Tower of Babel. And then way later in Isaiah 6, then I heard the voice of the Lord asking, who will I send? Who will go for us? So this unity, this plurality, right? This, there's this tension in the Old Testament. There's this mystery there that's not drawn out a whole lot. But God says it right away. He's revealing himself. So I think just to let this passage have the strength that it does and the mystery that it does, let that passage sit there in its mystery. We might be able to look back and be like, oh, yeah, that's the Trinity. Boom, right there. But they weren't thinking the Trinity back then. They were just thinking the mystery of God and how he's revealing himself. Because even the name Elohim, that's a plural word. Elohim is a plural word. And so God is revealing himself a lot in the plural, and he's saying something about himself, right? What does Genesis tell us about our creator? So then Elohim said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So the next word that comes up in here is man. This, this, this causes a lot of confusion in Genesis because Adam or Adam is a categorical word and a proper noun. And it's confusing because it's translated as him. It's translated as Adam. It's translated as humans. It's translated as them. So Adam in Hebrew, as you can see here, uh, is humankind, but it's also a name, Adam, but it's also closely related to the Hebrew, Hebrew Adama, which means what? Dirt, right? So it's saying something about us, right? It's saying something about the nature of like how, what God did and how he did it and the mystery that's involved there. And again, let's not get caught up in the, like trying to make scientific equations out of this stuff. It's like, you know, God is communicating something pretty special about us. But I know what can be confusing for a lot of people is this word Adam, because again, it's a categorical word and a proper noun. It's an actual name. So how that plays out, is that you see him saying he created, let me go back up, he created man in God's image. So is that, does that mean that only men are created in God's image? Well, obviously, yes, right? Uh, no, 
Obviously not. You know, uh, what he's saying is that humans have been created. And that gets fleshed out a little bit more in the next verse. But likeness, though, is the last word in verse 26. Likeness. We're created in his likeness. And that means that we can share in some of his characteristics, right? In his love, his holiness, his justice, his mercy, things like this. We can share in some of those things. I cannot be omniscient. I can't be all-knowing, right? Unfortunately. I can't be those things. I can't be omnipresent. Right, which most of us would love to be able to be omnipresent, especially if you're a parent, right? That would be sick to be omnipresent. You know, that would be the best. But we can't. There's some things that we just can't share of God's nature, but some of the things we can, there's characteristics that we can. So this although all this swirls around again the idea of Imago Dei. And so if we are going to understand that we humans were made in God's image, we should be reflecting that first and foremost, and we should be respecting that in others. And when we live in a world that doesn't respect that, But we're called to change culture and be a blessing to culture and bring hope into culture and to speak truth into culture. Now we really got to think how we're going to do this. How do I speak truth and do it in a loving and gracious way? How do I absolutely hold the line on what I know to be true and yet be gracious to people and be patient with people? And be curious about their individual stories. That's messy, right? That's why we define connect the way we do around here. Stepping to those messy places where God is at work. Because that's what you have to do as a follower of Jesus Christ, is you've got to be able to reflect it and respect it. And we live in a tension that doesn't necessarily do that. So verse 27. Verse 27 is a repeat of that idea in 26, but it does it in Hebrew poetry form. And it does this to draw out contrast and to show emphasis. And so in this verse here, in verse 27, when it's originally written, the way it's written and chunked out is also you can see the parallel, the contrast, the emphasis. So God, so Elohim created man, or Adam, or humans, in his own image. So it's not just men, it is humans that are created in his own image. So there's the second time in two verses that this whole in his own image idea is repeated. And then, next verse, he created him, or the Hebrew word there, who can be translated him, her, it, humankind. So again, the idea is that he created humankind. He created them. He created this body of people in the image of God. And then on the last one, again, kind of drilling down and more specific, he created them. That Hebrew word behind them is Adam again. So he created humans, male and female. So, This verse is powerful in that it does give us a real insight into the nature of who we are, how we're made, how we're created. So this is where the idea comes from, the goodness of God's plan for our sexuality comes from. This is where the idea comes from that the very bodies that we live in are good as male and female, as binary, you might say, as man and woman. There's something intrinsically important in that. And that there's part of the blessing that goes with how God created us to fit together sexually. And then also, there's the uniqueness of being an embodied man and an embodied woman that somehow reflects the nature of God, the character of God. That being made in his image even includes that part of us, right? And so, me being a man and Brittany, my wife, being a woman, there's something. There's that balance there. There's that picture there. In marriage, Paul would say in Ephesians 5 in the New Testament that a marriage between a man and a woman reflects Jesus and his church. There's something really, really theological there, deep and meaningful there. There's hope. There's purpose. Like I said, what what does God do in the Genesis account? He brings meaning, value, and purpose where there were none. And he's saying, look, even to your very bodies, there's goodness there. There's purpose there. There's intent. 
But here's what happens. This verse is also weaponized against people that are gay. This verse is also weaponized against people that are trans. We use this verse as a hammer instead of a source of hope. We do it to destroy people that are made in the image of God. Christians do this. And I know because I've heard them do it. I know because I heard them say things like, oh, it's Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve, dummy. Ha, ha, ha. I've heard people that are trans and people that are gay tell me, I've been told by Christians that I am an abomination and I'm going to hell. No love of Jesus for you, person, that already feels outcast, that already feels strange, that already feels weird, that already feels like they have no hope, they have no people. You can't find it here with Jesus because you're an abomination. You're going to hell. End of story. This verse gets weaponized against people that need Jesus Christ and his love. Yes, yes, it does say something about our human sexuality. Yes, yes, it does say something about our maleness and our femaleness. And there's goodness in that. Absolutely. But we have to make sure that we're not using scripture as a weapon to bludgeon people with. This should be a source of hope. When people are like, I don't know if I can trust my body. I don't think my body is good. We can say, no, 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 your body is good. You know what? Because God didn't say anything was very good until he made us. But are they going to do that? That's on us. That's on Christians. That's on people that represent Jesus Christ and his hope. Can we call out truth? Can we say, yes, this is what we believe? Absolutely. But how do we do that? It's tough because he does talk about male and female here, but what does he mention three times first? Imago Dei. So when we have these conversations, I want us to think about this from the New Testament. James chapter 3 gives us a really, really strong warning about how we should talk through really difficult conversations like this. He says, this is a half-brother of Jesus. Jesus, With the tongue, we bless our Lord. Right, we sing praise, we read scripture, we pray, right? And with it, we curse people who are made, what? In God's likeness. He is connecting directly to the Genesis account, Christians. And saying, we've got to stop talking this way. We have got to stop spewing venom and hate on people that are made in the image of God's likeness. Like, that's not how this should work. Yes, speak truth, but how are you doing it? And he goes on in verse 10, and he says, look, blessing and cursing coming out of the same mouth? My brothers and sisters, this, this can't be. Like, we can't be like this. We've got to be different. But this is difficult to do because we live in a culture full of toxicity and hate and division. So how do we enter into these discussions about this kind of stuff when we live in such a warlike environment, when people hate each other? If you don't agree with me, if you don't tell me that I, I am who I am and I can identify as what I want to identify, well, then you hate me. You're a bigot. Like, how do you have a meaningful conversation with somebody like that? What we tend to do is we tend to just act just like them. We fight fire with fire. Right? That's, that's what we tend to do. But that just isn't true, and we can disagree. But we need to do it in a way that says, hey, there is hope. There is something else here. Because I want to tell you, and I want you to listen to everything that I'm about to say. Because I want to tell you where we are as a church, where I am as your pastor. Because there's been some confusion. People have wondered, where is our church with stuff like, you know, people that are in the queer and trans community? Like, what, where are we with this kind of stuff? 
We've had people ask me very hard, honest questions. We've had people just leave our church over this and not talk to me about this because they just, oh, yeah, you're some woke pastor now. I'm like, okay, just get me the shirt and I'll wear it, right? Whatever. But what do we stand on this? So just to be clear, I do not believe that transgenderism is good. I don't believe it's healthy. I don't believe it's reasonable. I don't believe it's the best answer for people. I don't believe the lie, and I honestly believe this is a lie. I don't believe the lie that you can either have a trans kid or a dead kid. But man, talk about being an emotional war inside somebody, right? If somebody feels like, I don't fit in my body, my body is not good, and I hate my body, and here's what they're being offered. Well, if that's true, you better transition so you don't kill yourself. And that's being pushed more and more and more. And the more we believe that, the harder it gets to identify it as something that is not true. Because, here's what happens. If there's no hope-filled, Christ-centered alternative to that lie, what are they going to believe? What do they have to hope for? My, I hate my body and I hate who I am. I was abused and therefore I do not want to be a girl anymore because boys don't get abused, so I'll be a boy. I was told that I'm not a man, so I guess I'm a woman. I'm confused. I don't know what's going on. And I have no other alternative except to do something that I believe is wrong. I believe these transitions are harmful when you do surgeries. I do believe that the medications can mess people up. Girls stop taking them and they sound like me for the rest of their life. What do you do with that? Like, what do you do with somebody like that? Is that, that is that broken? And they don't have any other outlet for that because Christians tell them they're an abomination and they're going to hell. Like, how can that be? Like James said, this should not be this way. We should be hope dealers, not hate dealers. Like, that's what we're in the business of, Christians. Like, that's who we need to be. No, I don't agree with these things. I don't because I believe morally they're wrong. I believe biology backs up the way that I see Scripture bearing us out as image bearers, as male and female. However, I believe there's a different way that we can go about these conversations. And here's why I want your patience with me. Because I want to make you a promise. 100%, I know this to be true, that I'm going to screw this up at some point. I'm going to do it wrong. I'm going to give grace when I probably should have given more truth, or I'm going to give too much truth and hurt somebody when I probably should have given a little bit more grace. I'm not going to clearly communicate to everybody all the time what's going on, how we're dealing with people, how we're walking in process with people. And that's going to create confusion. For that, I apologize. And I know I'm not always going to do this right. But what I ask is that you be patient with me, your pastor, and patient with each other as we try to navigate these really turbulent waters together. Because we need to be hope dealers when it comes to this stuff. And our culture is not. Our culture is creating an atmosphere of death around this stuff. And we can say, no, no, you are very good. Your body is good. And I want to say that we've walked this road, and Tim and I have spent lots of time, Brittany and I have spent lots of time trying to figure out how to walk this road. And it, and it has been difficult. But I know one thing I am sold on. The reason I am committed to this is because I absolutely 100% believe in the Imago Dei. I believe that people are created in the image of God regardless of their issues. And I, have, as your pastor, I have committed to loving people that are queer and loving people that are trans, even though I don't agree with them. I don't think that's the best for them. But man, I'm going to love them and I'm going to let their, like, my life get messy because they're in my life. 
I'm going to have them over to my home in my living room and drink coffee with them. I'm going to ask them awkward questions, and I'm going to get responses that I think are weird and I don't understand, and I'm going to push back, and I'm going to tell them their face. I think they're wrong, but then I'm also going to say, but I really love you, and I'm going to walk this journey with you. Like, that's what your pastor is doing in his own life, and it's awkward, and it's really messy, and there's, like, back and forth constantly, and I get judged by people for it. But I don't care because I know what Jesus would want me to do is to love those people because they're made in the image of God. And that's what we're going to do here at Quaybog. That's where we are at Quaybog Church. And it's messy. And it's like, gosh, man, it's messy. But I want to do it right. And I hope that you know that. I hope you see my heart in that, that I want to do this right because this is really difficult outside these walls. It's super, and even inside the walls is difficult. There's a couple verses that are a guiding principle for us I want to share with you. That as we think about this Imago Day from Jan, uh, John chapter 1. The law was given through Moses and grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So how do I walk that balance? How do we as individual Christians, convinced of the Imago Day, how do we walk this line of like, nope, there is the law, man, and there is truth. But man, I'm going to be gracious. And how do I do that? How do I love somebody to the truth? Well, Peter tells us that. He gives us a, a glimpse of this in 1 Peter 4. 8. He says, look, above all, Love each other deeply, because love convert, covers over a multitude of sins. What is he talking about there? Let's just hold hands and sing songs. Maybe we can cry a little bit, right? Like, what is he talking about there? Is this romantic? Is this sappy? No. What he's talking about here is absolutely courageous and powerful. What this is, this is a recognition that only through the victory of Jesus Christ on the cross can any of us hope, any of us hope to have any deliverance from any kind of sin in our life only through the power of jesus christ and the completed work on the cross his victory there can i know who i truly am only through that can any one of us have any hope at all it's conviction that this right here that that kind of love from jesus is what's going to do the work because only jesus can do the work that only jesus can do my responsibility is to reflect the image of God, reflect the grace and truth of Jesus Christ. That's my job. And then my job is to pray for people that maybe I feel like aren't getting it. My job, like Jesus said, is to pray for my enemies. So we live in a world full of enemies on this kind of stuff. I need to remember in Mago Day. I need to remember the power of Jesus Christ. And I need to live that out. And because, I, like I said, I have stayed curious with people I have stayed honest. I've tried to stay humble with people, and it has made a, a huge difference. The last year and a half of my life in this stuff, and the LGBT community stuff, has been transformative for me. It's humbled me. It's presented questions. It's pre presented situations that I don't know how to handle. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to lead others through them because I'm just like, I don't know. Let's just try this door. Ooh, that was weird. Let's try this door, right? It feels like that sometimes. But that's, like, that's what life is sometimes. We're just trying to do this together and trying to follow God. And when I meet people like this, I've made a commitment about a year ago to where I'm not going to die over somebody's name and pronoun because it's a concession I don't feel comfortable with, but it's a concession I'm willing to make because I've talked with people in this community and they're just like, yeah, if you're not going to do that, it just says to me you don't respect me and I guess we just won't have a relationship. And I heard somebody say one time, a guy that I really respect in this area, and he said, look, you can either die over their name and their pronoun or you can die over the gospel. And you've got to choose which one you're going to die over. And I'm like, I don't like that equation. But when I talk to people, it's like, that's the option. Like, I can die over that, or I can say, nope, I'm going to build a bridge to you for the gospel. And I explain that to people right away. 
I'm not going to die over these things, but I want to build a bridge to you with the gospel because I want I want to love you to the truth of Jesus Christ because I want I want Him to do the work that I just I can't seem to do. I can't seem to rationalize you into this. But I bet that Jesus and the love that comes from Him covers a multitude of sins. I believe the power of the cross to transform somebody's life and help them see how they were made to be, whether they're struggling with gender or struggling with porn or struggling with anger. And I want to invite them into this story that they're made in the image of God and that is good. I want to invite them into that story. And I want us, Christians, if you're a Christian, I want us to invite people into that story that your body is good. There's got to be another story out there. So, there's a friend of mine, Daniel, and I called Daniel a few days ago and I said, hey, can I share a little bit of your story? And he's got to trust me. And we built some trust over the last year to be able to stand up here and do this. So Daniel came into our life a few years ago, sat right back there as Daniel, and came for a few months and was not in a good place. Daniel was not in a good place when he came here. And then he disappeared for years. Came back about a year ago, or right now, about a year ago, came back, sitting in the back, and there's this woman that clearly is identifying, like, I know you and you should know me. And I'm like, but I don't. And the service gets over. And after a few weeks of coming, I get this big hug. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is awkward. I don't know who this person is, right? Like, I, I don't know what's going on right now. And then eventually I found out, oh, Ella is Daniel. So what do I do with that? Well, God, for a whole year, had been working on me with this stuff, doing research, writing papers, like teaching lessons all about stuff in this community. And it's like, okay, God. This is what you were doing for. And this is what you were doing it for. I met other kids that were struggling with this, talked with them, asked them questions, got to know them. And all of a sudden, I've got one in my church that's like, I want to now plug in and I want to grow in my faith in Jesus. And I'm like, here, play ball? I'm like, all right. So I said, let's meet. Let's talk. I want to be involved. I want to grow. I want to be a part of this community. And I was like, okay, so let's be honest with each other. Like, we got to enter into, like, a really authentic, really different relationship because this can't happen in most other sectors of the world. So we got to do this. If you're a follower of Jesus, let's do this. I'm not going to die of the name. I'm not going to die of the pronoun. But I want you to know this. And this was really important. I said, you got you to hear me on this. You got to hear me. I'm always going to have an agenda. I'm always going to be trying to love you back to that truth of Jesus and always trying to help you embrace who you are as Daniel. I said, and I just need you to know that. And I also need you to know that I've got a whole body of people here that I need to be protective of and I need to be honest with and I need to do this right with. And I said, so there's going to be some areas that I, I, can't, I can't let you serve in. I just I can't do that because I don't feel good about that. And it's not anything about you. It's not that I, I hate you. And I said, how many times? I disagree with you, but I don't hate you. And I want you to know right now I'm going to commit to you and I'm going to commit to building community around you and loving you in the name of Jesus and letting him do the work that only he can do. And I said, and if you're okay with that, let's do this. And Ella at the time was like, yeah, let's do that. And I was like, all right, Lord, let's do this. And man, we had some back and forth. We had some misunderstanding. We had anger. We had text. We're sending back and forth, right? And it's like, there was all this back and forth that, man, there was a lot of undercurrent of how do we do this? How do we do this? So here we are a year later, and I asked if I could share some of Daniel's story, and, and he said, yes. And can you share some of my thoughts? And so, Daniel, thank you for the courage for letting me do this, all right? So here's the message I got from Daniel, just yesterday, actually. When I arrived at Quaybog, I immediately felt welcomed and loved. No one commented on my appearance or clothing, and the conversations I did have about it were respectful and polite. 
I felt listened to and my faith was taken seriously. Leadership was honest about their stance on what Scripture says, but didn't allow that to be a barrier to me serving or participating in events and even in some small groups. I got to see a group of men with different backgrounds, interests, appearances, personalities, and styles united in their love for and service to the Lord. As someone who was often told growing up that I wasn't a real man because I was sensitive and enjoyed the things that were traditionally girly, this was huge for me. Because after being told for so long that I wasn't a man, I began to believe it. I was shown such kindness and generosity here. This all humbled me and broke down some of the walls that kept me trapped in deception. Reflecting on the inherent dignity and worth that comes from being made in God's image revealed that God made me male, and that was good, including all my quirky traits. I still struggle with gender, but ultimately my confidence comes from the foundational truth that I am God's beloved child and a man after his own heart. And that's the work that Jesus does, church. Like, that's, that's the work that Jesus does. So it's messy. Like, it's messy. And we're still in process. And there's still steps that we're probably going to take backward and a bunch that we're going to take forward. But we are committed at this church to loving people and offering up this stuff as hope, as an alternative to a narrative that I think is wildly destructive, especially in our young people. And Daniel said that he never imagined one year ago that he'd be where he is today. Still in process, still struggling, still not always 100% sure. Like, the man, we're going to commit to loving people that are messy here. And we're going to do that truthfully. Do that truthfully. With some grace, hopefully. Because that's the work that Jesus does. And so I want to do this right, but again, I know I won't always, but I want to say let's do this together. Let's commit to this idea, this imago day, let's reflect it and let's respect it. Let's do this differently than the world is doing it right now. Because it can be life-saving. It can be eternity-changing. I promise you, because I'm seeing it happen in people. And not just in Daniel. That's the cool thing. I'm watching God change people, because sometimes only He can do what only He can do. So the last verse of this chapter, verse 31... God saw all that he had made, and it was what? Very good indeed. And he wasn't going to say that. was not going to say that until the Imago Day happened. Until those that would bear his image and reflect his image would come on the scene. Evening came, and then morning, the sixth day. So how we treat each other, how we even treat ourselves, this is why this idea is so important. It's not just others. I know a lot of people that carry a lot of self-hate around as well. And the Imago Day is an important. As you heard Daniel say, the Imago Day is important in your own life, how you view yourself. And the gospel of Jesus Christ demands, if you're a Christian, it demands that you respect this. It demands that you understand that only through the work of Jesus Christ and the victory on the cross do any of us have any hope at all. That puts us in the same boat. No matter what your issue is or what your thing is or who that person is or enemy, whatever, like if you're committed to the idea, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Imago Dei, and our responsibility to understand and absorb these difficult truths and then live them out, like that is life-altering and like that is the call, the high call of Christianity. That's how we change history. That's how we take this cultural and historical moment that we find ourselves in 
and we change it for the good. We, we can redeem people that feel useless and feel like, well, I've got no other choice to, but to just kill myself. We can redeem those stories. But it takes courage. It takes patience. It takes kindness. It takes curiosity. And ultimately, it takes Jesus. So let me pray. Lord, I, I just pray that, uh, that you would help us. God, we, this, we live in such a difficult time with this kind of stuff. Lord, and just how we value humans, we value ourselves, Lord, and God, help us to take the truths that we see in Scripture, Lord. Live them out, Lord, if we know you. And I pray, Lord, that if we do know you as our Savior, God, that this is going to be just life-altering, Lord. Help us to be people that reflect that Imago Dei. Help us to be people that are committed to the power of the cross and the finished work of you, Jesus Christ. Help us to be committed to the idea that we are hope dealers, Lord. We are not hate dealers, God. Yes, we can speak in truth, but Lord Jesus, help us to do it in a way that inspires hope and points to hope, Jesus Christ. That's the magnificent calling that we have on our lives, Lord, is to point people to the Savior and Creator of the universe. That's amazing. It's amazing. But we need you, Lord. So I pray this week, Jesus Christ, this month, this year, the rest of our lives, Lord, would you go with us? And I pray that in your name, Jesus Christ. And his church said, amen. God bless you all. I love you all so much. Once again, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to the podcast so you get notified of new content every week. Remember, we want to help you worship, connect, and serve. So if you live in the central Massachusetts area, we would love for you to engage with us on Sundays. For more information, service times, and details about our children's and youth ministries, visit us at quaybogchurch.org. Have a blessed week.